Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for December 6th, 2009. And this next article is U.S. Representative Isa, Obama's refusal to investigate ClimateGate emails is unconscionable. This is the title. Um, the U.N.'s decision this week to investigate whether some of its climate change research has been manipulated constitutes a, a direct rebuke of the Obama administration. Um, Representative Darrell Isa said Friday, the White House's unwillingness to open a similar inquiry could now, be, could now only be characterized as a sad abdication of their responsibility to ensure that the U.S. policies are not driven by the corrupted science and data, the congressman added. Quote, the very integrity of the report that Obama administration has predicated much of its climate change policy has been called into question, and it is unconscionable that this administration and Congress is willing to abdicate responsibility of uncovering the truth of the United States. This is a representative calling them out. Um, this was explained by Isa, the ranking member of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. Motivating Isa's calls for a probe into climate research and the UN's decision to launch one. Of course, the UN is it's not going to turn up anything. I mean, they're, they're all part of the problem, but at least they're making some... Um, surface effort, I would say, to at least appear to be concerned. The U.S. is just totally, nothing on the news, nothing on how they found out all these emails of these guys uh, that totally debunks global warming. We talked about it last week. It's called Climate Gate. Nothing but on the news, just absolutely 100% suppressed. The only way you're going to get this type of news is through alternate media outlets. Um, you know, Alex Jones has been reporting on this type of thing. Steve Quayle, these types of outlets are um, not to say they're the only ones, but you'll you'll be able to find it through them. Um, <clears throat> motivating Isis calls for a probe into climate change research and the UN's decision to launch one was the publication last month of a thousand of emails, thousands of emails and other documents that global warming skeptics say prove the phenomenon does not exist. Some of those emails contain discussions about how to best portray data sets, among other topics. In other words, how to doctor them so that they look most favorable. Scientists maintain their comments have been taken out of context, but those who fiercely oppose the climate change theses argue the emails invalidate all research. The UN announced it would probe that data this week, mostly because some of the research in question touches on related work, either completed or promoted by its own intergovernmental panel, on climate change. Of course, you know they're going to come back and say, oh, it's a big misunderstanding and there's nothing to any of this. But the White House has already largely dismissed the litany of Republican calls to open an inquiry into that research set, uh, Representative Isa included. Even if a deal is reached at the UN climate change talks in Copenhagen next week, it will only be the first step towards a far more radical cuts that are in need in global carbon emissions. And again, this whole thing about this global carbon emissions and the carbon tax is all motivated through this the lie of global warming which has been totally debunked now not only through all the emails where they admitted they were lying but through other sources that have went through and meticulously debunked this and I've, I've played various clips over the last um, few teachings where, where we've addressed this as well uh, 
Let's see here. I missed the, and who said that? That last statement was Al Gore, obviously. Mr. Gore said that to avoid the worst ravages of climate change, world leaders would have to come together again to set more drastic reductions than those now planned. He's just nothing more than a tool of the devil, a absolute 100% satanic liar. That's all he is, okay? He is of his father, the devil, and of, you know, of his lust he will do. So, again, this is what we're talking about goes on to say, even a final treaty will have to set the stage for other tougher reductions at a later date, he said. We have already overshot the safe levels of CO2 in the atmosphere. You know, he's just an absolute total liar. But this is what we should be expecting in today's day and age. And, um, you know, I just pray their lives be exposed. Next article, mounting debilities and deaths from H1N1 vaccine. This is from Dr. Mercola, just from December 5th. Jordan McFarland, a 14-year-old boy from Virginia, is weak and struggling to walk after coming down with a reported case of Guillain-Barre syndrome within hours after receiving the H1N1 vaccine. McFarland left Inova Fairfax Hospital for children in a wheelchair nearly a week after developing severe headaches, muscle spasms, weakness in his legs, following a swine flu shot. Jordan is among the first people in the U.S. to report Developing, or the one, the first one we know about, okay? Developing the potentially life-threatening muscle disorder after receiving H1N1 vaccine this fall. Increased cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome were found in patients who received the 1976 flu vaccine, which, again, we've reported on extensively in times past. Likewise, a young woman in France has also been diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome after the swine flu shot. Um, she was diagnosed six days after receiving it. From, that was reported from French Health Ministry. Swedish, Japanese, and Chinese health officials have also reported a number of serious side effects, including deaths of people who have received the H1N1 vaccine. In China, the Ministry of Health announced that the two people, including one teacher from the Hunan province, died hours after receiving their inoculations. That's not really, you know, a good sign there. Chinese health officials have pulled all vaccines manufactured in the same batch used to inoculate the teacher. 54% of Chinese residents reported in China Daily surveyed that they would not get the H1N1 vaccine because of concerns about the shot's safety. Among those inoculated so far in China, more than 1,200 have complained of side effects, ranging from sore arms, rashes, headaches, to anaphylactic shock, sudden drops, and blood pressure. So again, just a little update on that. Uh, here's a little bit more. This next article is entitled, Medical Mafia Marches in the New World Order. Uh, this is from Natural News. A Benedictine nun, Teresa Forcades, a former MD, gave a detailed analysis of the flawed pandemic reportage while warning of the dangers from a highly questionable vaccination for a relatively harmless flu. In her video presentation, the nun also outlined the steps that were taken by the WHO, or the World Health Organization, for medical domination over the world. So, this nun lady is actually reporting on this. She was a former MD. Hey, did you hear about the nun who uh, quit smoking? She dropped it like a bad habit. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I forgot the drum thing in the background. I just thought of that the other day. A little, little humor there. Get it? Habit nun? Oh, anyway. Um... Going further, two steps forward and one step back has been a method for gaining control for decades. For every advance, a setback is assumed with multiple alternative plans ready to implement. 
they are in it for the long haul. According to uh, investigative journalist John Rappaport, uh, the WHO is the arm for the CFR, or the Council of Foreign Affairs, established by Rockefeller family over 90 years ago to establish a New World Order agenda. This agenda is falsely promoted as a benefit for mankind. John D. Rockefeller also established the AMA, or the American Medical Association, then. In other words, he who owns the gold makes the rules. Now, I've heard um, Edward G. Edward Griffith explain this, that after, um, uh, I believe, it was after the war, after the, the whole thing with the Nazis, and I.G. Farben was there, was the main financial driving force behind Hitler, or one of them, uh, formerly a chemical company that converted into this pharmaceutical, which is really where we get the spawning of the modern-day pharmaceutical industry. And they were the ones that made the nerve gas and all the death camps. You know, they had a really nice track record. Okay, I'm just kidding, but they did do that. Well, they approached Rockefeller to approach... And I'm not sure if they figured this out or they, and combined with Rockefeller, figured it out. But they approached all, essentially every single medical college in America at the time. And they sent representatives to these colleges with essentially what amounted to a suitcase full of money. Now at the time, the medical uh, industry was not what it was today. Okay, it, Number one, it wasn't near as corrupted. And number two, um, it... Uh, it didn't have the funding and the backing in the big, gigantic edifices and buildings, and, and it wasn't what it is today in any way, shape, or form. And a lot of these m medical colleges were really on hard times financially. And they approached them, and they basically said, hey, would you like this suitcase full of money? I'm simplifying things for the sake of this explanation. Most of the colleges said, well, yeah, what do we got to do? He says, we only want to do a couple things. We want to make sure that we update all of your whatever, um, you know, in your colleges to more advanced technology. And we want to make sure that we have a hand in designing your curriculum. I believe there's three things. And we want to make sure that we have at least two people that sit on the board of every college, of every medical college, so we can help make decisions. Because, hey, it's our money. Ninety-nine, I believe, percent of all these colleges jumped at this. This was when we really got the radical shift toward symptom-based, pharmaceutical-based medicine. Symptom care, not health care. Modern-day medical industry has nothing to do with promoting health. They want to promote sickness because that's how they make their money, off sickness. They create the problem to a certain extent, because a lot of drugs have side effects and things of this nature. There's a myriad of reasons why people develop things like cancer and heart disease and things of this nature. But they wait for the symptom to develop, so you can go in there and pay them thousands and thousands of dollars to either get it treated with a drug or cut out. That's how they make their money. I'm not saying emergency medicine's bad. I'm not saying every faction of the medical community is, is evil. I'm saying, though, for the most part, this is how they make their money, off treating symptoms. They have no financial interest whatsoever in finding a cure for anything. And all you need to do is look at all these diseases out there that say, Oh, Jerry's kids, we're going to find a cure any second, right? March of Dimes, American you know, Cancer Society, all of these 
organizations, all they're designed to do is perpetuate the, the disease and take your money. They're never going to find a cure because there's no financial interest for the pharmaceutical companies who are publicly traded uh, entities on the New York Stock Exchange who are, who are designed to make money. There's no financial interest for them to ever find a cure for anything, for cancer or anything like that. It's the same thing in the petroleum industry. There's no financial interest for them to ever have free energy magnetic motors or things that you know, totally run off uh, alternative energy sources unless they can totally control it. Okay? Why? Because if you're dependent upon petroleum or gasoline in your car and things of this nature, then they have you. You're dependent upon them. You're paying them money all the time over it's called reoccurring revenue it's the same with drugs you get on a medication you got to you got to keep taking it typically you got to take more of it to get, get the same effect over time and then a lot of times it causes side effects cuz you got to take more drugs then a lot of times it suppresses the symptoms to the point that the underlying problem festers it becomes a really big deal now you have to get surgery and then you got to take more drugs it's all by design every bit of it it's evil I've done a whole teaching on the pharmaceutical industry, which is where we get the root word, pharmakia, which is where we get the root word for sorcery in the Bible. The word pharmakia is translated sorcery in the Bible many times. And it's a sign of the end times, where the Bible talks about there's going to be sorceries. They, they did not repent of their sorceries, of their pharmakia. Now, I'm not saying that just means, like, you know, somebody taking a heart medication, but the fact remains is that it's derived from that word drugs and drugs do not heal okay they typically treat a symptom but they they usually perpetuate the very thing that they're supposedly being given for okay there's you know you get dependent on them you get dependent upon these medications that you take they're not natural to the body though you don't get deficient in a drug when you get headaches over and over again it's not because you're deficient in aspirin okay typically there's other causes for it and they're not about treating the actual cause. They're about treating the symptom. That's how they make their money. So anyway, that was what happened with the AMA, the modern-day medical. The AMA has been bought and paid for since the very beginning. The um, pharmaceutical companies, which is essentially have all this, um, obviously, financial interest, going all the way back to Rockefeller, going all the way back to the Nazi-driven IG Farben. And the Bushes are tied in with that. Yes, President Bush and his cronies are tied in with that as well. Um, all of that's tied together. And it's all reoccurring revenue. And these pharmaceutical companies essentially have all kinds of financial interest in the hospitals. And, you know, this is where these, these MDs get educated. So this is all they know. All they know is the pharmaceutical mode or surgery. So anyway, um, going further... With pandemic alarms ringing, the medical monarch comes to the rescue, but it's actually a step up for world domination by a few. Four Kids points out, this, this nun lady, uh, points out that the WHO charged its criteria for calling a pandemic from widespread morbidity to only widespread infections in early 2009. Now, let me read that again. <clears throat> Four Kids points out the WHO charge changed its criteria for calling a pandemic from widespread morbidity or death rates to only widespread infections. So they, in other words, they changed the criteria. And this is how they were able to actually 
impose this level six pandemic. The swine flu has lower morbidity than even the seasonal flu. This is what enabled the WHO to declare a level six pandemic with low morbidity. Through a series of prior international agreements, this put the WHO in a position to mandate vaccinations for 195 UN member nations. In other words, the criteria totally changed. Before, it had to be widespread death in order to declare a level six pandemic. But no, 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 they changed it to widespread infection. Well, you know, the, the, the death rate of this thing is like super, super low. So you could have millions of people infected and only a small percentage, but now those millions count as, a de- as actual deaths, like they would have counted as deaths before. That's how they're counting them. It's, it's unbelievable. It's like when you have a rubber ruler, you can stretch it any way you want it. Four Cades pointed out that normally the WHO makes recommendations, but recommendations become legal mandates during a stage six pandemic. Yet the swine flu is not even as widespread as reported. The WHO stopped counting infections in mid-summer of 2009. So not only did they change, use the rubber ruler to change the criteria from morbidity to just infections, they stopped counting the infections in mid-summer of 2009. So current WHO CDC statistics are highly inflated, as discovered recently by a CBS program called Washington Unplugged. Now, if you want to know more about the swine flu, I have done so many teachings on this since May. Just key in swine in the search box on my homepage, uh, www.sermonaudio.com forward slash Dr. Scott Johnson. Johnson. And there's a little keyword search box, and you can just key in part of the keyword, and you'll find the teachings I've done on it. So, after the CDC stonewalled CBS journalists' request for accurate count of the swine flu, CBS surveilled all 50 state labs for confirmed swine flu cases. It turns out that most states reported less than 5% of the suspected episodes as confirmed swine flu, and in most states, over half of those were not any flu at all. So, of the cases they had, only less, there was less than 5% were actually H1N1. But, hey, they stopped counting you know, because it's a level six fa- pandemic, we're just going to assume everything's... Do you see how corrupt things are? I mean, this is so wicked and so evil and such a society based on lies. You know, but that's just the way it is, unfortunately. And um, going further, but the WHO is big brother, and in the USA, the CDC is calling some backdoor shots for the WHO. Resistance to overtly mandated vaccinations has risen, but a new angle has been approached in the USA. According to health, oh, this is unbelievable. According to a health insurance industry website, the CDC has inserted a provision in this new health care bill that they're trying to pass now in the Senate to withhold health care if vaccinations are not up to date. Could you imagine that? You talk about that Gestapo technique of control. You know? There's going to come a time when, when our faith is really going to, as particularly in America, because we haven't been challenged, really. We haven't really been tested in our faith. But there's going to come a time for a lot of us when, you know, and I understand I'm not equating this with getting saved or not being saved. But um, as I've talked about in times past, the potential for them to insert things into these shots is very, very high. From nanotechnology to nanoparticles to microchip dust to actually injectable microchips to foreign DNA, to all of the other ghastly things they put into these vaccinations. 
you know, there's going to come a time when you're going to have to make decisions about this, and you might be forced into a position. Um, you know, just unbelievable that this is going on. But, again, the Bible says to reprove and to manifest the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship. And that word reprove means to expose and shed light on them. And that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he get an advantage of us. So th- these are our motivations. Uh, we don't want to be destroyed for lack of knowledge, according to Hosea 4.6. And, and, you know, this would be a way you could be destroyed for lack of knowledge, by taking these, these vaccinations. What's wrong with the WHO and the CDC having all this control? The medical establishment's actual record speaks for itself. This medical monopoly has caused more death and bad health than any flu over the past 90 years. Here is what is not publicly being disclosed. Now, they gave a little statistic, but I had a whole other thing on this uh, in a presentation that I did called Destroyed for Lack of Knowledge, What Your Doctor's Not Telling You. And I just copied and pasted that out of my um, presentation into this little part here so we could really see the big picture. And this part is entitled, How Are Americans Dying? A definitive review and a close reading of medical peer-reviewed journals and government health statistics show that the American medicine frequently causes more harm than good. The number of people having in-hospital adverse drug reactions to prescribed medicines is 2.2 million. Dr. Richard Baser of the CDC in 1995 said the number of unnecessary antibiotics prescribed annually for viral infections was 20 million. Now, the reason he said that is because antibiotics only work on things that are of a bacterial nature, and then they only work on a very narrow range. That's why I like that in five miles of a protein, because it literally works on 650 different strains, both viral, bacterial, and or fungal. Okay, so... Whereas the um, antibiotics typically work on four to five strains. That's it. And only if it's bacterial. So if you get antibiotics for something that's viral, it's absolutely worthless. That's the point they're trying to make. If you want to know more about that product, go to dr-johnson.com. Dr-johnson.com. And to learn more about the silver. Uh, Dr. Besser in 2003 now refers to tens of millions of unnecessary antibiotics. The number of unnecessary medical and surgical procedures performed annually is 7.5 million. The number of people exposed to unnecessary hospitalization, unnecessary hospitalization is 8.9 million. The total number of iatrogenic deaths shown in the following table is 783,936. Okay, so... I give you the table, and there's a link there you can go to. So, total number. Now, what does the term iatrogenic mean? I'll I'll read you this. This is from JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association. This is from what they say it is. The term iatrogenic is defined as inducement in a patient by a physician's activity, manner, or therapy, especially used especially to pertain to a complication of a treatment. So, in other words, something that is caused by the medical system. Whether that's an infection you get in the hospital, whether that's a reaction you get off a properly or improperly prescribed drug, whether that's an unnecessary surgery, whether that's an unnecessary medication, it's all under the heading of iatrogenic. If you add all those up, in the year 2003, 
The total number of deaths was 783,936. Now, if we look at the um, what's killing most people in America, you look at cancer and heart disease, um, unfortunately my statistic page didn't come out on the newsletter I'll be sending out, but it will show up on the PDF file that I'll be putting up on the internet, I'll give you this graph you can look at. These are statistics from the CDC. The 2003 data shows that heart disease and cancer are by far the most common uh, reported causes of disease in America. But what is this telling us? It's telling us that the iatrogenic deaths from conventional medicine would technically be number one above cancer and heart disease uh, in, in the list that, in the graph that I give, because I think looking at this graph, it was around not even 700,000 for either heart or cancer. And then the other one was below that. Whereas iatrogenic deaths account for 783,000. So it's the number one cause of death in America. Atrogenic, which is directly caused from the medical profession. So, again, this isn't thing you're going to see on, um, you're not going to see a headline that, that reads, American medical system is leading cause of death and injury in the United States. But that is the facts. That, that's exactly what's going on. So anyway, then I give you some more links you can click into if you want to uh, search this uh, out a little bit more. The next article is, we're going to really switch gears here, we're going to be exposing the new moon, not specifically, but the whole vampire movement. Twilight, vampires, creatures of the night, and other romanticized demonic entities, the seduction of the youth. This is by a guy named C.A. Huft. Um, he says, so, so you let your daughter go to the latest Twilight film. And your son went to see The Vampire's Apprentice. Uh, novel, harmless, romantic teenage fun, right? In search, in their search for more information on their favorite fanged heartthrob, maybe they ran across a few websites that you should know about, like The Sanguarians, or The Voices of the Vampires, or Fallen Creations, a teen forum. These sites list numerous articles and teaching modules to help those poor, uninformed teens to find their inner vampire. The word vampire comes from the slop, Slavonic Magar, which mean, literally means blood monster. That's what that word means, blood monster. I mean, there is an absolute obsession with this, particularly within uh, the female, uh, females of America. I mean, I understand there's a lot of guys that are into it, but mostly the females are really, really into this. The guys are into all of their escapism, go and kill everybody video games where they're out being some warrior for the universe, saving the universe when they're doing nothing but sitting on a couch playing some stupid video game all day. And I'm sorry, I mean, I know there's probably some people that play them and things of this nature. It's just that you're in this alternate fantasy world that's not reality. And the Bible says to be sober, to be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil. And I mean, the Bible talks about abstaining from all appearance of evil, and, um, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. I just don't see how that plays in to these video games at all. You're going out there, and you're in a world that doesn't exist, except in your own mind. You're accomplishing nothing for Christ, and... It's just, I just don't see it. I don't see the, the, the justification for it, um, doing this. And, I, and again, I'm going to do, and I've had so many people email me and say how World of Warcraft or these types of games just about destroyed them. 
They, they get literally addicted. There is a demonic um, component to these games. It's like a, an addiction. It's like a drug. And you have to do more and more, and it's never enough. And, and again, you're just, at bare minimum, you're just wasting a ton of time. So, going further, it says, here is just one example of some of the articles they can look up regarding the subject of vampires. Number one, cooking with blood. Number two, how to protect yourself from diseases when feeding on the sick. So, in other words, if you're going to bloodlet somebody that's sick, let's say they got the swine flu, how are you going to protect yourself? From their tainted blood, you know? I'm serious. These are real articles. Or how about this one? Safe bloodletting and feeding. No, your daughter won't be kissing her poster of Robert Patterson. Instead, she will be learning the ins and outs of the Sangarians, who, who are the ones, what that word is, literally means is they practice blood drinking. When you see that word, well, that sounds like a nice word. Well, that's, that, that's what they do. They practice blood drinking. They literally have nightclubs. I've seen this. I've seen documentaries on where they show like, um, you know, they go into this nightclub and they show them cutting themselves and the blood's flowing into a glass and, and the person's right there to drink it. It's so sickening. That is so unbelievably, such an unbelievable abomination to God. And I'm going to prove that when it, com- when it comes to blood drinking because the Bible has a lot to say about this. Okay, but um, I, I just it's it's un- unbelievable. Do you know why kids are so drawn to this weird macabre subculture in our day and age of endless escapism, lack of responsibility, no moral role models, entitlement, and frustration over their socially imposed limitations, and endless soccer games? Children feel alienated. When you feel alien, you look for other aliens. At an age when relationships are probably more important. To them than anything, they feel alone, misunderstood, and confused. They thrive, connect, and relate to characters who exude beauty, wantonness, mysterious sexuality, superhuman powers, and abilities to get back at those who would hurt you or call you names. They beckon to you from the dark abyss. They can show their friends that they may be different, but now they've found a new way to control their out-of-control surroundings, exert power, never die, never age with a quiet confidence that if need be you would be you would be nothing but a late night snack if you happen to overstep your overstep your parental bounds you know it's kind of the same age old lie that 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 satan uh the serpent posed to eve in the garden of eden you shall be as gods okay this is this is how they portray these vampires i mean they don't age they don't die they i mean unless you get the old stake through the heart you know but um in today's day and age, this is a way that I, evidently these teenagers and children, they can escape into this fantasy world, okay? And this is one of the ways they feel as though they can take back um, control of their life. So here's a direct quote from the teen section of the Sangarian website. This is the one, the guys, that, the people that drink blood. This is a quote from the teen section. It says, quote, if you smell blood, It says, evidently, if you're out in public and you smell blood, in other words, somebody got cut or some girl is menstruating, menstruating, whatever, it says, just don't say anything. As well as we can pick it out, most people find it little odd when you act like a bloodhound. In other words, evidently, these people get so demon-possessed that literally they have this ability, or they can smell blood, and they get all fired up and worked up over this. 
something that, then it goes on to say something you have to learn is how to downplay things. Now, in these vampire shows, one of the common themes you'll see when they have their handsome vampire um, teen heartthrob vampire guy go to the real pretty girl who's not a vampire. What always comes up is she invariably cuts her ankle or cuts her finger, and as soon as he sees blood, you know, you, the, the, the eyes go totally black and the face blanches, and you can see all the veins, and he turns away because he doesn't want to devour his girlfriend. This is one of the common things that you see in those types of shows. So it reminded me of that, you know. It's, it's um, very similar to what, how they portray it in Hollywood. Again, we're not talking about fantasizing that you are married to the latest fanged vampire. You are actively seeking out blood. Many overlook the fact that the Twilight movie, he wants to devour his girlfriend's blood. And literally, when that happens, they typically kill, you know, kill the person they're feeding on. Human blood is a river of energy. It contains essential things the body needs to live. The Bible tells us that there's life in the blood. God gave the Israelites very strict limit, very strict instructions regarding the treatment of blood, both human and animal. And I, what I did is I expanded his Bible verses here. Um, he just had a couple, but I expanded it a little bit more so we can get a little bit broader look at this subject. Now, I've done a whole teaching on the, um, it was under, I think it was under the Levitical Dietary Guidelines. Um, you can go, you can search for my, where I talked about also the blood, if you just key in the word blood in the keyword search box on my homepage, you'll find it. And I, it was about how there's a lot of blood in the meats that we tend to buy in the stores. Now, I don't want to get into that because that's a, I've already done that teaching, but if you want to know more about that, um, it's a very important subject that I think we don't talk about a lot. You know, if you're going around and you're eating a lot of rare meat, you need to stop that because most likely there's blood in that meat and you're consuming it and you may not even be aware of it. And again, this is why the Bible says we can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. So, and again, I'm going to prove why I'm saying it's a big deal right now. After the flood, Noah and his family came out of the ark and God gave permission to to mankind to eat flesh foods. Up until that point, they hadn't been eating animals. And I can prove it. It says in Genesis 9, 1-3, it says, And God blessed Noah and, and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So at that point, uh, we could actually start eating um, flesh but not the blood. And then it says, however, there was a restriction placed upon the human race. This is, in, this is the next verse, Genesis 9-4. But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. You don't eat the blood. Okay. Then Leviticus 3-17. The restriction was reaffirmed after the children of Israel left Egypt. Uh, through Moses, God said, quote, it shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. Okay, it says perpetual. It doesn't say... Now, there's some things when we get into the Levitical dietary guidelines. Obviously, this is one thing I believe we are bound by because I'm going to prove it from a New Testament standpoint too. There's wisdom in the Levitical dietary guidelines. Are we under the law? No. But there doesn't mean there's not wisdom in those guidelines. I mean, God didn't say, define clean and unclean animals, 
because he was trying to be like uh, some cruel taskmaster. Okay, there's wisdom in that, like not eating bottom feeders, like um, shrimp and lobster and these types of things. Why? Because so much of the time they're bottom feeders. They're getting all the garbage that's fall to the ground in, on the bottom of the ocean. They're eating that in order to keep the oceans part of the way that oceans are kept clean. And But as a result, it gets concentrated in their soft tissues. Okay? A lobster's like a big cockroach. It has a hard exoskeleton just like a cockroach. And it goes around and does something very similar. And I hate to say that, but I mean, not to say that I don't like lobster, but I haven't eaten it in years. Um, so anyway... I call them the cockroaches of the sea. Like chicken of the sea, the tuna, cockroaches of the sea. Sorry. Anyway, um, that's probably going to make a lot of people mad. I'm not saying this is a this is a, you know, heaven or hell thing here. Okay, I'm not trying to turn into that. I'm just saying there's wisdom. If you want to know more about that, just go to that keyword you can key in Levitical or dietary or whatever. You'll find the teaching up on Sermon Audio. Um, in the Old Testament, a violation of Leviticus 3.17, which was that you eat, eat either you eat not either fat nor blood, a violation would result in the separation of the transgressor from the congregation of Israel. Uh, Leviticus 17.10 says, And whatsoever man there be in the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, now they really, they're just really referring to blood here, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and I will cut him off from among his people. Now, there's got to be a really good reason God's saying this. I mean, did God just say that for no reason? No. There's, there's reasons, and I mean, there's health reasons, obviously, but there's also a, you know, the biblical reasons that we can look at. But it was so, such a serious offense... That God said, I will set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off. Why do you think the devil is trying to get so many people obsessed with the vampires? What is the main thing the vampires are all about? Blood feeding. Drinking the blood. Feeding off blood. The devil is always trying to get us to rebel against God in any way, shape, or form that we can do it. And this is just one more example of that. He's always trying to get humanity to defy God. Why? Because he defied God. And he wants everybody to be like him. Why? Because misery loves company. He's trying to take as many people into the lake of fire as he can take. Get them into hell first and then the lake of fire later. Because he knows that's where he's going to end up. And he wants a lot of company there. And unfortunately, I'm not, I mean, I don't know exactly what the lake of fire is going to be like, whether you're going to be separated from everybody or whether you're going to see everybody around you, but he's probably going to have a lot of company. I mean, that's about as serious of an issue as you could talk about, but that's the bottom line. He's always trying to get people to defile their, their bodies. And I mean, um, this is just one way you can do it. And then it goes on to say, uh, it would behoove those who believe that under the gospel dispensation, mankind is free to ignore this Old Testament prohibition of eating blood with the meat, to, con to seriously consider the special consensus that the Council of Jerusalem around A.D. 50 took regarding this specific topic, the Apostle James, in his closing remarks, summarized the unanimous resolution arrived at by the church at large through the Holy Spirit. Hear his words, Acts 15, 28, and 29. It says this, I believe, in two places as well. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost 
and to lay and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from meats offered to idols in other words if you sacrifice foods to idols you don't eat those and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication these are things we shouldn't we shouldn't eat things meats offered idols with blood in them or things that are strangled and we should also not fornicate. Okay? Um, from which, if you keep yourselves, ye you shall do well, fare ye well. End of quote. This is from Acts 15, 28, 28. So, we were still told not to eat blood, even in the New Testament. Why does it say things strangled? Well, when if you strangle something, the blood stays in the meat. Okay? And when they have um, these Levitical slaughtering methods, okay, um, what they do, or what they're supposed to do, is they're supposed to let the blood drain out of the animal, okay, before they ever... That doesn't mean it's got every single part of it, okay? Uh, and again, I got into this in the teaching, but I have found that um, preparing meat, number one, um, the best way to ensure this is to use some salt and vinegar when you're preparing whatever, uh, particularly meat in particular, has a propensity to hold blood, um, some salt and vinegar tends to purge the meat, okay, and making sure that it's been cooked through, that it's essentially well done. Because if you're eating rare, rare meat, I mean, there's no guarantee. I don't see how you can get the blood out of it. I just don't see how it's possible. But that vinegar and salt can go a long way to purging the meat uh, from any blood. So, and what does blood taste like? Well, it would have, I mean, if you've ever you know, got a cut in your mouth even. It has that irony taste. So it's something that you can even a lot of times pick up. A lot of times too, a lot of these sausages they make, they include blood in all these exotic organ meats like blood pudding and scrapple and uh, uh, tripe and all these uh, meats. My, my, my great-grandpa was a butcher and that, my, my dad would tell me these stories about, oh man, alive, all these nasty things they would, man, I'm sorry, maybe some of you out there like that stuff, I don't know, it's not, it's just the thing is, is I, if I was you, I would err on the side of safety, and not eat that stuff, because you just, I mean, unless you know exactly what is in it, you could be ingesting blood, um, so, let us not overlook this, that this resolution took place under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, after the death of Christ on the cross, and his resurrection, this verse, in other words, was given then, so, now back to the original subject, there are different forms of vampirism. A popular one is called psi vampirism. This is more of a combination between witchcraft and vampirism, since it calls for focus and meditation to physically act as a parasite to an unsuspecting victim, or also called psychic vampires. They mentally drain their victims of life force. They suck the energy from them. The danger is the person will become sick, depressed, or even die. This is a popular form of vampirism as it offers a much more tasteful alternative to feeding on someone's blood. In other words, you don't have to, you know, puncture their veins in order to get blood. You can just psychically... Now, I've heard, I've read accounts of these psychic vampires, like they'll get on a bus or something, and they'll, they'll key on somebody on the bus, and they'll literally... I mean, it's through witchcraft. They're sucking the energy right out of them. I'm not saying that's going to happen to a born-again Christian, but... For, the, at lar for people at large, they don't have to worry about that because there's probably not a lot of true born-again Christians walking around in, in general public. Um, in much of the popular, popular youth literature, the idea of feeding on a human is distasteful or evil. 
So they turn to animals instead to satiate their desires, which is somehow okay in their minds. For, so for the budding blood drinker, they should also know that, that the blood of animals can carry diseases. Animal blood is dangerous and can carry salmonella, E. coli, botulism. Raw pig blood contains trichinosis, which is this nasty uh, parasite. Ugh, pig blood. Oh, man, I tell you, it doesn't get much worse than that. Not to mention, if you aren't killing these animals yourself, you have to become very good friends with the local busher, and the cleanliness of the blood uh, may be a factor. Once you get past this disgusting factor, you need to begin to realize that the enchantment that has been perpetuated upon your children, ex-vampires state that they felt a very unholy anointing. Now, I wouldn't truly say, if somebody was an ex-vampire, I wouldn't truly say they were like the walking dead. There's many different levels of these things. And like I said, there's people that go to these clubs and they prick each other's whatever, fingers and stuff and try to drink their blood and things like that. Um, I'm not Somebody like that isn't like you know what you would see classically portrayed on TV like Vlad Dracula or Vlad the Impaler, which is where we get all the, the vampire legends from Transylvania. Um... But they said they felt a very unholy anointing, like an entity entering into them and calling upon them. Sure, they were demon-possessed. They were devil-possessed. You know? They also state that bloodlust is as accurate of a description as they can describe. It's like a virus. It's like an addiction. It's like every, a lot of things that I've been talking about today, whether it's... There's a lot of things you can get addicted to. But it's like a virus, infecting them and controlling their desires. Many admit that without the saving grace of Jesus Christ, they would have never been free from the bondage of the compulsive ingestion of blood. And again, this is something that's really happening every day. You may not believe it, but it really does happen. Compulsive ingestion of blood. Many admit they would do anything to get their necks fixed. Murder not withholding. Although these are extreme forms of possession... All the former vampires state that they started out with nothing but an innocent, vain curiosity to begin with. The occult set the trap, lured them in with the promise of ageless beauty, sexual prowess, and unlimited personal powers, but failed to tell them at what cost this would come. That's the way the devil does things. Okay, so going further, this next article is entitled, Safe School Chief Recommends Child Pornography for Class Reading. Uh, the following includes descriptions of adult themes and objectionable subject material. Now, I toned it down. I didn't leave what they originally said in here. I tried to tone it down, but I want you to be aware of this because these are the types of devils that Obama is putting in office. Okay? A new report is raising alarms that the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, a homosexual advocacy organization founded by openly gay Kevin Jennings, who is now the head of the U.S. Office of Safe Schools for the Obama Administration. So we've got Satan himself, an openly gay sodomite named Kevin Jennings, is now the head of the U.S. Office of Safe Schools. Again, it would be like having a Ted Bundy home for battered women. Okay? Um, it would be like where they have the Demolays and the Masons, the Demolay for, for young boys. Demolay was an absolute total uh, pedophile, sexual, homosexual pedophile pervert that preyed on little boys. And they name the organization after him? It's as insane as that. That's what we have going on here. He is now recommending triple X rated sex writings for children as young as preschoolers. Um, 
we, this is from World Daily Net, this article. We, quote, we were unprepared for what we encountered. This was this uh, report they did on it. Book after book contains stories and anecdotes that weren't merely X-rated and pornographic, but which featured explicit descriptions of sex acts between preschoolers. Stories that seem to promote and recommend adult-child sexual relationships. Stories of public sexual self-gratification, sodomy in restrooms, affairs between students and teachers, five-year-olds playing sex games, and other things too graphic to even mention, said the report. Is this insanity? This is why I did that, that teaching on Psalm 64 where we actually are actively praying against wickedness. Against wickedness, okay? Because wickedness is an abomination and an affront to God. And when God judges wickedness, good things always happen. Always in the Bible. It may not be fun for the wicked that get judged, but good things always happen. Uh, we always pray above all that if it be possible, their souls be saved. If it be possible. You know what? God knows the beginning from the end. The Bible talks about in Hebrews that there are vessels that are prepared that are fitted for God's destruction. In other words, there are people that are actually and literally born that way. The Bible say the wicked go astray from the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. Now, I got into all the Bible verses that pertain to this on the second part of the um, study I did on the indigo children, these indigo crystal children or whatever. I'm not putting all of them in that category. I'm just saying it, it applied then. Because that's a concept that a lot of times we don't understand in Christianity. And the Bible's very clear in the New and the Old Testament. Um... This wickedness needs to be judged, and it needs to be judged by God, not us going out and, you know, hurting somebody or whatever. But if God does it, it'll be done the right way. And I think these are things that we should, uh, we should pray about, because all this is doing is defiling humanity. It's defiling the land as well. The Bible talks about that when innocent blood is shed and that when um, homosexual acts are committed, it says this in the, in the Old Testament, that it literally defiles the land. What does that mean? It curses the land. And that sin begets more sin. So if you want to know more about that, see Psalm 64 in the keyword search box on my homepage. It's something that's very rarely ever talked about. And it has to be done in a biblically balanced way. You just don't want to go off half-cocked and say, well, bless God, I pray. He ran down fury on everybody and kill every... No, 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 no. I, I don't do that. Okay? Try to do it in a biblically balanced way. Those scriptures are there for a reason. They're not there to be ignored. And there's a ton of places in Psalms that um, talk about this, but it just needs to have biblical balance applied. So... This goes on to say, one memoir even praised becoming a prostitute as a way to increase one's self-esteem. All it's going to do is destroy your self-esteem. That's what it's going to do. The, the women, I, I've heard this one lady that I knew, she would counsel, uh, she's counseled some prostitutes, and she said, many times when you would look at them or counsel with them, it was like they were just empty inside. They were, it's like they were, there was nothing there. Because they had given, every man that they had slept with, they give a little part to. They give another part of their own 
It's like they give a part of their soul, their being to them, until finally it comes to a point where there's nothing left. And I believe that's the point where you probably have no conscience either. You're just, you're just an empty shell. Because that's not biblically the way God things wanted to be, work things out. He, he, he set it up biblically to have a marriage between a man and a woman, not Adam and Steve, but Adam and Eve. And that was the way it was supposed to work out. But again, Satan tries to pervert everything. So above all, the books seem to have less to do with promoting tolerance than with an unabashed attempt to indoctrinate students into a hyper-sexualized worldview. The report was posted online by Jim Holt at Gateway Pundit Blog. Now, I give a link. You can click on that if you want to know more. After it was obtained from Breibart TV founder Scott Baker. The team whose members assembled the report said a handful of books from the more than 100 titles on Gleason's now remember, Gleason stands for that gay, lesbian, uh, gay, lesbian, straight education network. Oh, sick name. These books recommended these. Oh, There's more than a hundred titles that Gleason recommended um, from this school children reading list, and we picked some randomly. Um, and some of the random titles were Queer Thirteen, Being Different. Passages of Pride, meaning their pride that they're sodomites. Growing up gay, growing up lesbian, in your face, love and sex, ten stories of truth. Those are some of the titles. What we discovered shocked us, rendered us speechless, the report said. Read the passages and judge for yourself. The language is explicit and the intent is clear. World Daily Net has reported previously on Jenny's background and agenda, including when it was revealed a publisher of Gay Erotica sought him out to write a book aimed at encouraging homosexuality in high schools and colleges. Messages World Daily Net has left with Jennings' office during its coverage of these issues have never been returned. Because he doesn't care about your opinion. So Mr. Kevin Jennings, he's somebody that you should be praying for. Now, I'm not saying pray that he goes to hell. I'm saying if it be possible, his soul be saved. But there's very, very few gay people sodomites that have been turned over to that that are going to be saved. The Bible says, narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find, and even fewer that are embracing this lifestyle. I'm not saying it's impossible, but the Bible does say in Romans 1 that they've been turned over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Men burning after men, women burning after, going after women, leaving the natural use of their body. So I'm not going to sit here and put myself in God's position, but this is something we, I believe we should be praying against and about because it's pure wickedness. We're supposed to resist evil. The Bible says that for this cause, Jesus Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. Well, shouldn't we be like him? And prayer is our best remedy for this. And speaking out, you know, I mean, it, it, but, you know, he's not returning any calls or responding to anything because they don't care, you know, what your opinion is. Um, I, I left a link in here for the uh, YouTube videos on this uh, thing that Jesse Ventura did the other night on True TV. Now, I'm not saying I agree with Jesse Ventura about his morality and this type of stuff, but I watched this the other night and I was very impressed, I have to admit. Uh, it was on the harp cover-up, and it really was about as close to truth as I've seen on the TV in a long, long, long time. And I'm not saying spend, you know, all your time in front of the TV. 
but this particular expose on the HARP, uh, High Altitude Auroral Research Project, is what it stands for. It's been this big, gigantic tenant array that's up in Alaska. I talked about it when I did the teaching on Sound of Silence and the Gwen Towers, how it can be used for mind control, how it can be used for weather control, how it can be used to um, set off earthquakes and tidal waves and all these types of things. They say the same thing in here. In fact, they even say more. They, I learned some things from this report. It was really good. Um, I am extremely surprised they let this air. But again, the people that are in control of everything are Luciferians or Kabbalists, and Kabbalists believe that their enemies, their victims, must be warned prior to their impending doom in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know if that's the reason they did it, or, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but... And the Lord Jesus Christ is in control. I'm not saying that that's not the case. It's just I was surprised to see this on TV. It was very good. Uh, this next article is Muslim dangers around the world. We're going to look at some percentages here regarding the Muslims. Uh, this is adapted from Peter Hammond's book, Slavery, excuse me, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, the Historical Roots and Contemporary Threat. Islam is not a religion, nor is it a cult. In its fullest form, it is a complete, total, 100% system of life. Well, it's a 100% religious system of life. I would have to differ with them a little bit there. Islam has a religious, legal, political, economic, social, and military component. The religious component is the, um, really is the backbone for all the other components. Islamization begins when there are a sufficient number of Muslims in a country to agitate for their religious privileges. When politically correct, tolerant, and culturally Diverse of societies agree to Muslim demands for their religious privileges. Some of the other components tend to creep in as well. Here's how it works. As long as a Muslim population remains around 2% or under in any given country, their will for the most part be regarded as a peace-loving minority. That's how they're all their peace-loving, those, those Islamic people. And they're not a threat to any other citizens. Now this is the case in United States, Australia, Canada, China... Italy and Norway. They give these percentages of like United States 0.6%. I'm not sure if that is accurate right this second. This is from December 3rd, 2009, so I would imagine these statistics are very much up to date. Now, at 2 to 5% when they occupy that much of the population, they begin to proselytize from other from other ethnic minorities or other disaffected groups, often the major recruiting is from the jails and among street gangs. Now, I know this goes on in modern-day prisons in America, There's whole, and particularly they target the black men. And um, you'll see them in there, and they convert to Islam in the jail and all this other stuff. Um, now, this is happening primarily in Denmark, Germany, United Kingdom, Spain, and Thailand, which is, you know, they're in that 2 to 5% range. Now, from 5% on... They exercise an inordinate influence in proportion to their percentage of the population. For example, they will push for the introduction of halal, which is clean by Islamic standards, halal food, thereby securing food preparation jobs for Muslims. They will increase pressure on supermarket chains to feature halal on their shelves, along with threats for failure to comply. This is occurring in France, Philippines, Sweden, Switzerland, Netherlands, Trinidad, and Tobago. 
At this point, they will work to get the ruling government to allow them to rule themselves within their ghettos under Shahara, the Islamic law. The ultimate goal of the Islamists is to establish uh, Shara law all over the world. When their Muslim population approaches 10%, uh, they tend to increase lawlessness as a means of complaint about their conditions. In Paris, we are already seeing car burnings. Any non-Muslim action offends Islam and results in uprisings and threats such as in Amsterdam with opposition to Muhammad cartoons and films about Islam. Such tensions are seen daily, particularly in the Muslim sections in Guyana, India, Israel, Kenya, and Russia. After reaching 20%, the nations can expect a hair-trigger rioting, jihad militia formations, sporadic killings and burnings of Christian churches and the Jewish synagogues. In other words, this whole this whole report is if you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. That's what it's that's what this is all about. And Satan is so good at this particular concept. Now, at 40% of the populations, the nations will experience widespread massacres, chronic terror attacks, ongoing militia warfare, such as in Bosnia, Chad, and Lebanon. Now they give the percentage of Muslim population in this country. Now, from 60% Nations experience unfettered persecution of non-believers, of all other religions, including non-conforming Muslims, sporadic ethnic cleansing or genocide, use of Shahara law as a weapon, and Zizhah, which is the tax placed on infidels, such as in Albania, Malaysia, Qatar, Sudan. After 80%, expect daily intimidation and violent jihad. Now that word jihad means the... Is, means holy war, means to make jihad against the unbelievers and the infidels. The Quran, and I've quoted all these verses in times past, commands their followers to slay and kill all infidels. You either convert them, or, or, or you kill them, or you slay them, or you, you behead them. There's many, many quotes in the Quran that say that. But remember, it's a, it's a religion of peace and love and tolerance. Now we got to keep that in mind now. You know, sorry. After 80% expect daily intimidation, violent jihad, some state-run ethnic cleansing, even some genocide as these nations drive out infidels and move toward the 100% Muslim, such has been experienced, uh, and they give a whole laundry list of companies that are on 80%. Now, 100% will usher in the peace of Dariz Salam, which means the Islamic house of peace. Oh, right, peace. The, the, the hypocrisy of this double religion knows no bounds. <clears throat> I've done several teachings on this too. Just key in the word Islam or Muslim. Part of the word in the keyword search box on Sermon Audio and you'll find it. <clears throat> so, this, um, <clears throat> this is under 100% Islamic occupation. This is, the supposed, this is supposed to be peace because everybody is a Muslim. The madrasas are in this... The madrasas are the only schools, and the Quran is the only word. Such as in Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, and Yemen. <clears throat> Those are some places I really don't want to go, unless God tells me to, but wow. Unfortunately, peace is never achieved, as these 100% states, the most radical Muslims, intimidate and spew hatred, satisfy their bloodlust by killing less radical Muslims. What? Why? Because they're lukewarm. See... Most of the people that you would consider a peaceful Muslim are just lukewarm. Why? Because they're not following, they're not being fundamental to their faith. They're not being fundamental Muslims, 
fundamental to the Quran, like a fundamental Bible-believing Christian, tries to live by the fundamental principles of the Bible and adhere to them. <clears throat> Somebody that's a lukewarm Muslim maybe will come out and say, oh, it's a religion of peace. Well, you're not reading your Quran. You need to go back and reread that thing. Because you, you should be strapping on these nail bombs and running into these little cafes and killing as many Jews and non-Muslims as you can. So the, that's what the Quran tells you to do. Um, <clears throat> before, uh, this is a quote by Leon Uris. He says, Before I was nine, I had learned the basic canon of Arab life. It was me against my brother, me and my brother against our father, my family against my cousins and the clan, the clan against the tribe and the tribe against the world, and all of us against the infidel. Oh, that, boy, that just sounds like a great way to live. <clears throat> it is important to understand that, some, that in some countries with well under 100% Muslim populations, such as France, the minority Muslim populations live in ghettos within which they are 100% Muslim, within which they live by Shahara law, the national police do not even enter these ghettos. There are no national courts, no schools, nor Muslim, nor non-Muslim religious facilities. To such situations, Muslims do not integrate into the community at large. The children attend madrasas. Um, they learn only the Quran. To even associate with an infidel is a crime punishable by death. But remember, it's all about peace and tolerance. Therefore, in some areas of certain nations, Muslim imams and extremists exercise more power than the national average would indicate. Today, 1.5 billion Muslims make up 22% of the world's population. Over one-fifth okay, are Muslims. But their birth rates dwarf the birth rates of Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, and other believers. Muslims will exceed 50% of the world's population by the end of the century. Well, we're not going to make it there, sorry, but <laughs> I don't think we got that much time from a biblical standpoint, from a tribulation standpoint, but um, if things were allowed to go unchecked. Adapted from Peter, Dr. Peter Hammond's book, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, The Historical Roots and Contemporary Threat. Today we are letting the fox guard the hen house. The wolves will be herding the sheep as Obama has appointed two devout Muslims to homeland security posts. Obama and Janet Napol Napolitano appoint Arif Alakan, a devout Muslim, as secretary, assistant secretary for policy development. Oh, I'm sure those policies won't have any, any uh, bent toward being favorable to this Muslim uh, death cult that we just talked about, and seeing that Obama is a Muslim, it should be no surprise. And then um, De Department of Homeland Security uh, Secretary Napolitano also swore in another man called Karim Shorha, a devout Muslim. Again, they, defi they define both as a devout Muslim. In other words, not your garden variety Muslim, but a devout, who was born in Damascus, Syria, as an ADC National Executive Director, as a member of Homeland Security Advisory Council. Homeland Security? You got Muslims appointed to this? And their Quran tells them to kill and slay the infidel? Mm, that's, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Note, has anyone ever heard a new government official being identified as a devout Catholic or devout Jew or devout Protestant? Highly unlikely. Devout Muslims being appointed to critical homeland security positions? 
Doesn't this make you feel safer already? Was it not a devout Muslim who killed 13 at Fort Hood? Uh, please forward this important information to any who care about the future of our respect. And I did a whole teaching on that Fort Hood thing. Okay? And I understand he may have been a patsy to a certain extent, but the fact remains is the guy was a devout Muslim, and he finally was, was true to the Quran in the end by doing what he did. Okay? Because guaranteed, the people, the hardcore Muslims, and uh, they viewed what he did as a very honorable, good thing. This is from Pastor Jason Barlow. He put this out. And that's um, our current events for today. Okay, so I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and time you've given us. We praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy that you've bestowed upon us. For the free gift of salvation offered through the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, the blood that he shed. We praise you, Lord God, for this. I pray that you would forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form. That you would wipe our slate clean as we forgive those who have sinned against us. I pray, God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. That you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over us. That you would use my listeners, the body of Christ, mightily for your glory to win many souls to the Lord. I pray that your name be glorified through us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.